Hi, I'm Joaquin Evans, co-senior leader of Bethel Austin. I pray that Jesus ministers to you through today's message and that you are blessed deeply. If you're encouraged, please like and subscribe so you can stay up to date with all of our weekly sermons. Enjoy the message. Hey, good morning. You're looking good this morning. Gosh, this 100 degree weather must be doing you good, right? I just got so excited that three days this coming week is below 100. Like it's 99 and 98, but I'll take it. I'm like, I will take it. <laughs> oh my gosh, okay. Before I get started on the message this morning, I have a couple of announcements. Um, we have shifted our Saturday night services to Saturday nights of prayer. Oh my gosh, you guys, it has been phenomenal. Last night was the second week that we held uh, this prayer night and there's been over 100 people at both of the weeks that we've been doing it, just pressing in to heaven and calling heaven down. And I tell you, the presence of God is in that room. I remember like the first week I was just weeping. I'm like, oh, it's good to know I'm just not wearing makeup to these, to these nights. Like God was there and it was beautiful. And then if you were here uh, last Sunday, we felt like it just poured out as a continuation from last week. And again, last night we gathered and we prayed and pulled heaven down. And it's just like no agenda, no agenda, but just giving God glory and praying. Gosh, that just sounds good to me. So we would love for you to join us next week. They begin at, um, these nights begin at seven o'clock and they're for an hour and a half to 8.30. Uh, doors open at 6.45 and you can enter in through the children's um, foyer area because it's in the great room. Anyway, you should come. It was amazing. Okay, one thing that I wanna do really quickly before we start is anyone who is in school... I just want you to stand up for me. This is like our youth section over here, y'all, so. <laughs> hey, even if it's university or college, like whatever it is, I want you to stand up. Okay, can you guys get around these people and just lay hands on them? We just wanna pray for them. We wanna commission them as they go back to school. And Lord, we just thank you for these ones. We thank you that they, oh yeah, teachers as well. Why don't you stand up as well? Teachers, get in on this. Yeah, Lord, we just thank you that you are present in their everyday lives, God, that you're not just the God who shows up on Sunday, but you're the, that you're the God who shows up in the lunchroom, in the classroom, in the playground, wherever it is, God. And we just commission these ones right now to go into their schools being beacons of light. And we thank You, Father, for giving them boldness and courage to stand true to their convictions. And Lord, we thank You for opportunities for them to preach the Gospel to their friends. But God, I ask that You would just give them a resolve a resolve in their spirit this year that they will live for the glory of God and not for the glory of man. So Father, we just, we pray over them. We pray a hedge of protection around their hearts, their minds, their spirits and bodies, God. And we ask that you would bless them as they go into this new school year in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, come on. Um, 
actually, is Micaiah here? Is she here? Where are you? Do you want to come here just real quick? Sorry, I didn't even ask you. I'm just going off script for a little bit. Come here. Can I have a... Um, I was... I was talking with my daughter the other day who's 10 years old. She's going into fifth grade. And she was like, Mom, I need to share this testimony with you. And she told me this testimony that you had told her about your prayer group at school. And she was so excited. And I was like, oh my gosh, we need to hear about these things and celebrate these things. Would you mind sharing? I didn't even ask you, I'm sorry. But it's amazing, you gotta hear this, it's so cool. Okay, so me and my little sister, Sophia, who's somewhere over there, um, me, her, and a friend named Blake, we decided that we were going to start a Jesus club at our high school. Um, So during, like, the freshman orientation, um, we just really prayed that we would have a lot of people sign up and a lot of kids sign up because we want to see revival in the school. Come on. Um, And we had 50 freshmen sign up. And then we had an extra 20 of sophomores, juniors, and seniors. Come on! So, <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to tell the younger kids in the elementary schools um, that they too can be like an influence in the elementary school because just by following Jesus and looking like Jesus, then you're influencing your whole classroom. Come on! And, and the year before that, you had like, Five, right? Yeah, the year before that, yeah. we had five. They went from five to 70. Come on, isn't that amazing? Thank you so much. Wow. I was so encouraged by that. And I just love that um, these young people, it's not just people my age who are preaching to my children, but it's teenagers who are leading the way, you know? And like my daughter was just like, isn't that so cool, mom? And I'm like, yes, that is so cool. I love it. Oh, anyway, that just blessed me so much. Come on. All right. Thank you, Lord. I'm, I'm not sure if we have the declaration slide available. I, oh, wow. You are on it. Y'all, we have a team of people who sit in a room behind the stage who makes all of this happen. Can we just give them a round of applause? Thank you. We love you. They're amazing. We're so thankful for every person who serves. Um, all right, so let's read this together. I like to start our message, um, my messages with this just to kind of get us out of the rut that we might be in and just put our attention and our focus on Jesus. So can we say this together? Grab your Bibles if you have one or your phones, however you read the Word. You ready? I love my Bible. I believe that it is the Word of God. I believe I am who He says I am. I believe in its power to transform my life. I know that God will meet me in these pages. My heart is open to receive, and I boldly declare I will never be the same. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Okay. Wow. All right. This is actually the first time that I've done this, but I am 
preaching a message that I've actually already preached at Bethel Austin once before. So if you've heard it, pretend you haven't. Um, Pretend all my jokes are funny again. I would appreciate it. It was actually over five years ago, and so a lot of you probably wouldn't have heard it. It was in our pre-launch days before we'd actually um, officially launched the church. But it is a message that, honestly, I preach to myself constantly. (laughs) It's something that I come across in my life on a daily basis. And so I just think it warrants a revisit every now and then. And it is this idea of expectancy versus expectations. So I want to talk about that this morning. And if you're like me, you've probably heard sermons about being offended, maybe even heard the term, live unoffendable, like have an undefendable heart. And I'm like, that sounds great. How do you do it? Because there's a lot of broken people who hurt people. So how do you do that? Like realistically, when we live in a world where none of us are perfect, And so I want to just go into this a little bit this morning. And like I said, I have to preach this to myself often. And I feel like when I'm raising kids, I have to preach this to my kids. I have to, as a pastor, it's like the constant message that is on my agenda when I'm speaking to someone or counseling someone. But listen, some of us may be harboring offense this morning. Some of us might not be. But the reality is you will many, many, many times have the opportunity to be offended. Just today, probably. (laughs) All right. So this is some of the ways that you can know today if you're carrying this spirit of offense. When you're more concerned about being right than about maintaining relationships. When you focus on other people's faults instead of their strengths when we feel like it's our job to correct people's mistakes in every area of their life, when we always want to vent, aka gossip, (laughs) right? Isn't isn't like the Christian word for gossiping vent? (laughs) We say that, it kind of makes us feel better. Um, When we hold grudges or resentment and bitterness, or when we easily see the sin in other people's lives, but not our own. These are just some of the ways. And there's, there's plenty of others, but this is my objective this morning. See, I, I love revival. I wanna see revival. I love salvations. I wanna see the masses get saved. I love healing. I wanna see everyone that I pray for get healed. I love all of that. But you know what I go to bed thinking about and why I do what I do is because I have a deep, deep passion to see the body of Christ be the most whole, healthy, and beautiful version of herself. Because then when we see revival and when it comes, we will propel it forward and not stifle it. Right? We are gonna begin to believe what God says about us. And we're gonna think crazy thoughts. Like when we pray for someone, it's impossible for nothing to happen. Right? So that is my heart. I wanna see believers thriving emotionally, spiritually, and physically. And to be honest, I think that when the bride is at her most beautiful, she is so attractive to the world around her like the fish are just gonna be jumping in the boat. 
They're gonna wanna be a part of what we have and what we get to experience together. And they're gonna point towards Jesus. And I believe that when the body and when believers are healthy and whole and free, free of the fear of man, free of many things, but I believe Jesus gets his full reward in us. And that's what I want. That is what I want. 3 John 1-2 says, Beloved friend, I pray that you are prospering in every way and that you continually enjoy good health just as your soul prospers. A prosperous soul to me is one that doesn't harbor offense, disappointment, or unforgiveness. And there's a correlation between our souls prospering and the rest of our lives prospering. When I use that word prosper, I don't mean money. I mean thriving in every area. That's what I mean. See, we are the keepers of our hearts and we get to determine what gets in and what comes out. And often what comes out is determined by what we put in. What we meditate on. We make choices every day to protect what is important to us. I, um, this is not in my notes, but just so you all can get to know me a little bit better and the thoughts in my head. Like I have a full on escape route to get out of my house in case someone tries to get in. <laughs> like, and I meditate on it <laughs> just in case. I'm like, I don't like guns, but I know how to use one. And I, I pray I never will have to, but like, I'm telling you, if someone comes after my kids, I'm just saying, I will do anything to protect them. Like, I wonder, most of us who are parents could say the same. I wonder if we go to the same extreme to protect our hearts. For out of it flows life. See, offense is the root of bitterness and unforgiveness, and it will eat you away until you have become unrecognizable as a child of God. Doesn't mean you're not forgiven. Doesn't mean you're not going to heaven. But you could very well become unrecognizable as a child of God. Let me give you some scripture to back that big claim up. <laughs> In 1 John 1, 11, but he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. 1 John 3.10, in this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. We are not of God if we don't love our brother and sister. 1 John 4, 8, he who does not love does not know God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. See, these are some big words, right? I think sometimes some of our conversations might look like this. Yeah, but God, if you only knew how difficult that person was. <laughs> if you only knew how unhealthy and messed up that person was. I would be justified in my offense. There is no clause in that scripture that disqualifies anyone from the love of God and therefore from your love also. See, we're not victims. 
We are powerful people. We really are. We are powerful people. We get to happen to life. Life does not get to happen to us. No one possesses the power to offend you. I want to say that again. No one possesses the power to offend you. Hurt you? Yes, they can hurt you. Offense that creates bitterness and unforgiveness, that is all you. That's all me. Not the other person. We need to learn how to keep a short account with God and with people. It's the lifestyle of repentance. You know, to go to bed at night and be like, God, I'm so sorry that I made that decision without asking you about it. I'm so sorry I spoke in that tone to that person. I'm so sorry I didn't give you glory when you deserved glory. Keeping a short account with God and keeping a short account with people. Like, hey, I'm not sure if you realize that you hurt me, but this is how it felt when you said this. Hey, I got really hurt because you said you would do this and you didn't. Keeping this short account is what enables us to not allow bitterness to creep in and fester and create a sick heart within us. Look, the enemy is not smart. He is predictable. He's not smart. If he can't take you down in one fell swoop, then he will work to distract you, discourage you, and offend you. If he can't take you down, he will wear you down. And it leaves us lethargic and ineffective as believers. All right, let's talk about expectations versus expectancy. Look, it's not that expectations and expectancy are vastly different in nature, but they do represent a different heart posture. And I'm gonna tell you a little bit about the definitions of these words, but look, so many of the times when we become disappointed and offended is because we have created an expectation that has not been met. Instead of carrying expectancy in our hearts. Expectation in and of itself, it's not a bad thing, but it is false expectations and unspoken expectations. And everyone has them. Turn to your neighbor and say, I got some. I got some. The definition of expectation is a strong belief that something will happen or be the case in the future. That's what expectation means. A strong belief that something will happen or be the case in the future. Expectancy is the state of thinking or hoping that something, especially something pleasant, will happen or be the case. Can you, can you notice the slight subtleties that one of them creates this level of definitiveness? It's like, this will happen. I hope this happens. I pray this happens. And if we set our hearts with expectations, 
oftentimes we create that box of expectations. Well, this is what it's going to look like. This is who it's going to come from. This is what it's going to sound like. This is when it's going to happen. This is exactly how it's going to look. Let me just put that in there and let everyone around me guess what that is and get super mad when they don't get it right. See, expectations can lead to disappointments, frustration, and hurt, but expectancy leads to faith and thanksgiving. I love that made-up proverb that said, blessed are the flexible, for they shall bend and not break. Have you guys heard that one? I love it. It's true. Look, most every area of our lives carries either expectancy or expectations. Our dreams, our careers, our marriages, our parenting, our parenting. i say that one again for the parents. The friendships, our ministries, our relationship with God. Every area, we can either hold expectations or expectancy. I'm gonna touch on three areas this morning. And this isn't an extensive list, but this is just three that I wanna hone in on this morning. And the first one is this, is our approach to God. Our approach to God. 99% of the time that believers that I know who have walked away from Christ is because of unmet expectations that has turned into offense. It allows a disconnection to manifest in our relationship with God and allows the enemy to get a foothold in our lives. We begin to hear little whispers that sound like, if God was really good, then why didn't He heal me? If God really cared, then why are there fires sweeping through Maui? Why is there war? Why are there children contracting incurable diseases? The list goes on. If God was really real, then why haven't I encountered Him like other people have encountered Him? And I just want to remind us that when the Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted, the three times the enemy tempted Him, it all began with, if you are the Son of God. If you are. It's like, if God really cared. If God was really that good. When we begin to hear those whispers, you can be sure that that is the devil speaking to you. That is the enemy speaking to you. I want us to turn in our Bibles to Naaman, I mean, sorry, 2 Kings 5, and we're gonna read the story of Naaman. If we come with expectations we can often be left feeling discouraged and we can expect God to show up in a certain way, to speak to us in a certain way, encounter us in a certain way. And when he doesn't, it shakes our faith. It creates this offense, especially if we see the person next to us getting what we've prayed for, right? All right, we're gonna read a portion of this scripture. Now, just for some context, Naaman, he was the commander of the army of Syria. He was a very important man. He was a man that people would regard in high honor. He would have garnered a lot of respect from the people under his command 
as well as his peers. This man was used to being a VIP everywhere he went. Let's read. Now, Naaman, commander, we're going to start at 1, 5, 1, 2 Kings 5, 1. Now, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and horrible, honorable, horrible, <laughs> oops, honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, if, mistress, if only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. I mean, that's a, that's a preach in and of itself, right? A young girl being taken into captivity, only wanting what is best for those who took her captive. Oh. Let's be humbled right there. (laughs) And Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel. Then the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothing. Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, now be advised when this letter comes to you that I have sent Naaman, my servant to, you, servant to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and said, am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends, me, sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. So it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes that he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Now this is what I want us to focus on right here. Then Naaman went with his horses and chariot and he stood at the door of Elisha's house and Elisha sent a messenger to him. It's almost like the President of the United States coming and knocking on your door and you send one of your kids. (laughs) Also, Elijah sent a messenger to him. Go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored to you and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, indeed, I said to myself, he will surely come out to me. Indeed, I created these expectations in my heart of what it was gonna look like when I got healed. And this is how I wanted it to look. And he became furious. He will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. And then he goes on to say that the rivers in Damascus are better than the waters in Israel. And then it wasn't until his men came up and implored him to do what the prophet said that he actually went and did it and was healed. But boy, talk about a great opportunity for offense. Has God ever asked you to do something that feels beneath you? maybe that has made you feel foolish, that feels counterintuitive, it just doesn't really make sense. 
because it doesn't quite look like the expectations that we have set in our own hearts. Naaman had an expectation of how, who, and when he would be healed. And he became furious that it did not turn out the way he wanted. But here is the deal. God is after your heart, period. He is after your heart. And sometimes in the area of healing, especially in the areas of healing in our culture where we get to see people healed all the time, when it doesn't happen to us, there is room for offense to creep in. Maybe it's in our callings. But God, I'm in my 50s and it still hasn't happened. I'm still not living the life that I feel like you called me to live. Mind you, I told you what it would look like. (laughs) Maybe it's in provision. Maybe God has given you a promise that you are gonna be wealthy and be able to support the kingdom and missionaries and bless people extravagantly. And you're just struggling to balance your checkbook right now. It's like, well, if God was really good, if God was really real. And the more we entertain those questions, those if questions about God, the more it opens up this doorway for the whispers of the enemy. And before we know it, we're offended and we don't even know it. We're just a little less dull in our pursuit of God. We're just a little too busy to be with him. He's just not really our priority anymore because we have allowed these whispers of the enemy to get in and create a fence between us and God. I used to always want, like I, when I went, I'm a Baptist girl, Baptist background. So when I went to Bethel School of Ministry and saw these like wild encounters and manifestations, to begin with, I was like, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. No, I was though. Um, (laughs) The Lord worked on my heart, don't worry. Um, But I would see people having these wild, amazing encounters with the Lord. And I'm like, God, why not me? Why not me? I packed up my life. I left my family. I moved across the world. Why not me? And I'll never forget when God said, when you try to put me in that box. And when you tell me how I encounter you, then you miss out on all the times that I'm actually encountering you. And I'm like, oh yeah. Actually, you encounter me in the word more than anything else in my life. When I open the pages of scripture, that is where I always meet God. I haven't had this like electricity that pulses through my body till I felt like I was about to die. I want it. (laughs) I'm gonna keep praying for it, but I haven't had it. But I'm also not gonna tell tell God that this is any less than that. Because I'm, however he wants to encounter me, he can encounter me. Whether it's with a little tiny tingle or whether it's with like uncontrollable laughter, However he wants to do it, he can do it because he is God and I am not. I've got rid of all my expectations 
on what it would look like for God to encounter me. And I tell you, it freed something in my heart when I finally stopped looking at other people's encounters and started just focusing on my own. I want us to read in, um, gosh, I can do this. I want us to read quickly in Philippians 1, uh, 19 verse 20. So if you have your Bibles, you can open it up to there. But this is how Paul created an expectation from God that was free from control. And how he partnered his expectancy in a way that gave God room to control the outcome. Philippians 1, 19 through 20. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. When it talks about, I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. See, Paul knew that the Lord was in control of all events, even though he, even through his imprisonment and impending trials before Caesar. I mean, his situations were pretty dark. I would venture to say a lot darker than many of ours. And then when it says, my earnest expectation and hope, see these words of his are filled with faith. Paul trusted God and Paul first trusted God that in nothing I shall be ashamed. But he believed that God would not cause him to be ashamed or that God would not turn against him in the matter. And though he was in prison and awaiting trial before Caesar, Paul had the confidence that he was in the center of God's will. He knew that God was not punishing him through the adversity he was experiencing at the time. And he then goes on to say, Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul also had this trust and admitted to the Philippians that he might not be released from this present imprisonment, but it might instead result in his martyrdom. Paul lived his life not to preserve or promote himself, but to glorify Jesus Christ. And if Jesus should one day decide that Paul could best glorify him through the laying down of his life, then Paul would have been pleased with the opportunity. See, he didn't say, in order for you to get glory, God, it has to look like this. He's like, you get to choose how you get glory. And if that means me living or me dying, I just trust that you will get the glory either way. See, many of us would not ever imagine that God would ask us to give up our lives. But look, in order for the gospel to be true, and the gospel has to be preached and lived in Pakistan the same way as in the United States. The gospel doesn't change depending on where you live. And as long as our expectation is God, you get the glory. No matter what, whether I live and die by cancer and I never get healed, you will still get the glory. 
whether I have lost a child. I mean, come on, these are real big things, right? My only expectation is that in some way you will get the glory, no matter what it looks like. One of the other ways that we can carry expectancy and not expectation is how we approach other people. If we harbor offense towards people, then we become cynical and bitter. I heard this quote years ago that I love, and it says, if you don't heal your wounds, then you will bleed over people who never cut you. I'm gonna say that again. If you don't heal your wounds, then you will bleed over people who never cut you. You will carry offense into every new relationship, just waiting until that person hurts you like the last person. Sometimes we carry a hopeful expectation of doom and gloom or a hopeful expectation of pain and betrayal. Listen, when we do that, we don't learn to heal, but we let offense have its way in our hearts. We end up becoming very lonely people. We push everyone away just so they won't hurt us like we've been hurt before. I ask my kids sometimes, I'm like, are you being fun to be around? And I kind of want to ask that to some grown-ups sometimes too. <laughs> like, are you being fun to be around? <laughs> Look, I'm not saying that you should pretend that nothing's wrong when something's wrong. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying you have to be this happy-go-lucky person all of the time in the midst of trials and pain. I'm not saying that, but if you live in that place, pretty soon you'll be there all alone because nobody wants to live there with you. Luke 16, 15, talking of Jesus, he said this to the Pharisees, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. Offense will often look like the justification before men. But this is what he or she did to me. Come on, justify me in my pain, in my offense, in my unforgiveness. But God knows our hearts. I don't have a lot of time to go into this story in the detail, but... You know, when I uh, was born again, I was 21 years old and I started going to Hillsong in Australia, in Sydney, Australia, and I loved it. And if anyone knows the church, um, amazing, amazing church. Not quite as like crazy as we are. <laughs> um, but I remember I would go to the young adults um, group there and I kept listening to these Bill Johnson sermons. And I'm like, wait, this man says the Bible is true and that when we pray for people, they should be healed. And I started hearing all these testimonies of people getting healed. And so I was like, you know what we need? We need a healing rooms here. And this is hilarious because my husband used to run the healing rooms at Bethel Reading. And I'm like, I started a healing rooms in Hillsong, Sydney. <laughs> Maybe 20 people came, but that's okay. Um, 
But I wanted to start this because I just had this like burning desire to see people healed because I've read that it was true. And I just was like, God, come on, you can do this. So after it wasn't after church because it wasn't that, you know, that widely accepted. But after youth, I got, um, or young adults, I got permission to do a healing rooms for an hour afterwards in one of the side rooms. So I gathered this team with me, this guy called Caesar, who I love him. He was just like after deliverance. And I'm like, you go do deliverance and I'll just pray and hug people. Um, <laughs> but anyway, and then we had another girl um, who was part of the college, the, the leadership college there. And she was like, she was burning for this stuff too. She's like, I wanna be involved. I'm like, great, the three of us, like, let's go, let's pray for people. And so we would, and it was, it was amazing. And we started seeing some cool stuff happen and, and started getting a little bit more um, widely acceptable to go there. Um, so a lot more people were starting to come. And then one day I got a phone call from this other girl who was leading it with me. And she was like, Renee, I am now leading this ministry. It's gonna be my, my end of year final like dissertation and project. And I'm like, but I, I started this ministry. And she's like, yes, but I'm, I'm gonna be taking it over and leading it now. And I'm like, I would like to lay hands on you. <laughs> I'm just gonna be honest. I mean, let's be honest here. Like, I was so angry and so offended and because she had a way in with leadership at that level that I didn't, she took over the ministry and started running it. And it went towards her final grades for college. And I'm just like, breathe in, breathe out. And I was like, fine, whatever. I mean, I was, on, I was already accepted into BSSM in Reading and I'm like, whatever, I'm just do it. You can take it, I'm just going anyway. And I remember I was in my car and God said, did you start this ministry to lead it or did you start it to see people get healed? And I was like, Ugh. well, if I'm honest, both. Like, right? Yeah. And he was like, Renee, I want you to go and serve underneath her. And I want you to serve this ministry like you were leading it with the same level of dedication and sacrifice. And I was like, but you would not ask me to do that. That's really uncomfortable and that girl is clearly messed up, Lord. I am justified in my offense towards her. She did something ungodly. <laughs> anyway, I had it out with the Lord and sure enough, tail between my legs, I'm like, I'm here to serve you, how can I serve you? And for the next six months I served in that ministry, we still got to see people healed and it was incredible, but it was so hard. It was so hard. I'm just gonna be really honest, I didn't wanna be there. I, it was a lot of inner, inner heart work. I'm like, gosh, I love you, 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 I love you. But it got to the point where I, I actually truly did love her. And I had forgiven her, even though she didn't ask me to forgive her, I'd still forgiven her. <laughs> Hey, I'm just saying there's a lot of people who don't even know they hurt you and they're not gonna ask you for forgiveness. You've just gotta to choose to forgive them regardless of whether someone asks you or not, right? And so I was like, okay, I just forgive her. Anyway, fast forward two years later and I was in second year school of ministry and she called me. She's like, Renee, I now live in Washington and I wanna come down to the healing rooms in Bethel. Can I stay with you? And I'm like, 
<laughs> no, I mean, at that point, I was like, okay. <laughs> so she came and stayed in my house for a few days. She went to the healing rooms. Didn't speak at all of what had happened three years before. And anyway, on the last night, she said to me, I'm really sorry. I shouldn't have done that. I'm really sorry. Like, and I was like, you know what? I can honestly say I've already forgiven you. Like, I've already forgiven you. But come to find out, and it's so painful, but like she ended up on the streets, divorced from her husband, giving up her child because she had bipolar and schizophrenia and had come off her medication. Anyway, I'm watching her life unfold and I just keep being reminded of this statement that if we can get this, if we can get this, it'll change our lives. And it is so simple, and I say it to my kids all the time, but hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. And if we can truly understand that, our hearts will not be turned towards offense, but it'll be turned towards compassion and empathy. When we truly realize, like, you know what? Ouch, what you did to me, that really hurt. But I know that you're only hurting me because you must be hurting. It might not look it from, from the outside that you have pain, but I know it. And I tell you, like, it is one of the greatest truths that, actually, Asher is sitting here in the front row, but I remember we were driving to school one day, and this was a many, like, three years ago, and we were talking about a little girl who, he and this little girl were kind of, clashing a little bit, and, and he said to me, you know, Mom, I just know that she's hurting me because she's hurting. And I was like, all right, I'm done. Good job. <laughs> but I'm like, it's so true, and we forget that sometimes when we grow up. But let's not set ourselves up for hurt and disappointment. Let's realize that hurt people hurt people. Um, we did a new marrieds course, like before we got married, Joaquin and I went and did this course. Actually, I think we just did the books. And I remember in the office with Danny one day and he's going through the course with us and he's like, you got to create new normals in your marriage. And I'm like, yeah, okay, you know, <laughs> I've got a wedding to plan. Like, <laughs> um, And so I remember after we'd been married, if you... Oh gosh, I don't know. It, it probably happens on a regular basis if, if you guys are anything like us, but it's like, oh, that's not how I did it in my family. <laughs> what? That's not normal. Why are you doing it like that? And he's like, but that's how we do it in my family. We grow up with these set of normals that we think are normal, but they're actually not normal. And I tell you so many times, married couples have this conflict because they're living their normals from how they were brought up and not creating new normals together. Because this takes actually speaking about our expectations. And I don't know, sometimes I just don't wanna tell him. Sometimes I'm like, if you knew me, you would read between my lines. Look, can we just do each other a favor? Can we just erase the lines? 
Can we just do that? Do you know how easy our relationships and marriages would be if we just erased these invisible lines that we have created with a set of expectations that we expect them to meet but never actually tell them how? Joaquin's like, preach it, babe. (laughs) Passive aggressiveness is not a fruit of the Spirit. I love Brene Brown's quote. She says, clarity is kindness. Clarity is kindness. When you are clarifying details, when you are clarifying your expectations, you're not being demanding. You can do it in a demanding way. But in and of itself, it's not demanding. It's actually kindness. Hey, I'm actually going to tell you what my expectations are. And let's talk about it. Let's figure out if you can meet them. And if you can't, then let's compromise. Let's see what this looks like. So I'm not over here harboring or seething about something that you did that was wrong, but you don't even know that it was wrong. And you're like, are you okay? And I'm like, I'm fine. (laughs) Like triggering some husbands in here. (laughs) Anyway, I'm just kidding. (laughs) You're like, yes, Renee. No, but seriously, women, I'm gonna be honest. We do this so much. We do. We have these, probably because we think a lot more. (laughs) I'm not saying, I'm not saying we think, I'm not saying we think better. I'm just saying we think more, like, we talk more. (laughs) Wait, (laughs) I feel like that came out wrong. (laughs) I'm just saying we got a million things going through our heads at any one given time right? It's like we're on five different tracks and our husband's like, this is what we're talking about. And we're like, yeah, but we jumped. Don't you know we've jumped in conversation to what we were talking about five hours ago? Because I'm still thinking about that too. And then in the next minute, we're going to be changing subjects again and you just got to pick it up. Come on. (laughs) But I am saying like we are really good sometimes at creating these expectations of women, like what we actually need because we want to think we can do it all and we don't need help. Because somewhere along the line, we got this crazy notion that asking for help means that we're less of a woman or less of a mom or less of a wife. Anyway, let's just erase the lines. Can we do that? If you have children, um, you might want to go grab them, but you can bring them back to service. Okay, I'm going to, I've got six minutes, so we got this. The other way that I see people harboring expectation and not expectancy is how we approach the church. If we harbor offense toward the church, then the enemy will begin to isolate us. I spoke about this a few weeks ago, the disease of isolation. And you, when you look at the physical implications, let alone the mental and spiritual, which are huge, just the physical, they say being isolated is like smoking a pack a day of cigarettes. Does the same thing to your body. Anyway, If you harbor offense towards the church, then you will often find yourself isolated from the church. And this honestly is how we have become such a transient culture. And I'm talking about the church now, not just any particular church. It's very rare to find people who have been in a church longer than 10 years. And I know that God calls you out and calls you to other places. But again, if He's calling you every 12 months, 
I don't know if that's God. And you know why? We choose the path of least resistance. And when you've been in a church for 10 years, that's a lot of opportunities for offense. Right? I was talking to a, a couple, a sweet couple who go to our church and we were talking about this. I was like, you're never gonna find a church where you 100% agree with leadership. And I was like, I've never found a church. I'm not even sure I 100% agree with leadership in this church. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. But I'm just gonna say, if you're looking for something, you're gonna find it. If you're looking for something wrong, you will find it. We think we know how church should look. And look, as a pastor, I'm gonna be honest, a lot of our jobs is managing people's expectations of us and of the church. And I will say this very confidently, at least 90% of those people never tell us what their expectations are. But we sure do get judged when we don't meet them. Or they leave offended because we didn't meet them. Yet we re really never stood a chance. <laughs> Because we never were told. We will leave without ever communicating. And then we'll find another church and it'll be shiny and amazing. But then when those same expectations that we have don't get met again, well, oh, have you checked out the new church down the road? Yeah, they've got really cool graphics. I should go there. Sometimes we have expectations on what our position and platform should be. How the church should serve us, perhaps. Banning Leapshire has a fantastic message on the church's family, not a business. And he talks about the difference if you approach church as a business, you're always wanting something from church. It's always about you. What can the church do for you? But if you're approaching church like a family, it's like, how can I help? Tag me in. What can I do? This is my family. I'm going to help build this. Oh, you need ushers? I'll be an usher. You need this? I'll do that. Why? Because being part of a family carries responsibility. We need to start having conversations, like out loud conversations, about what our expectations are. It is kindness to do so. Sometimes we think, oh, but we'll come across demanding or we'll come across however we fear we may come across. But the truth is, no one's gonna stand a chance meeting your expectations if you don't talk about them. Okay. I'm gonna ask the ministry team to come up and I wanna pray for us this morning, but if we could do anything or if we got anything out of this message, I would love for it to be this. Let's carry in our hearts the spirit of expectancy where we give people the benefit of the doubt. We're expecting good things to happen, not the spirit of expectations where it has to look this way or I'm offended. It has to be this person that prays for me. It has to, let's just not give God a box. <laughs> All right, why don't you stand up for me? And I'm gonna pray this morning.
Jesus. God, give us a heart of expectancy. Give us hearts of expectancy, God. And Lord, where we have created expectations that are either false expectations or unspoken expectations, Lord, will you identify those for us in our lives and will you give us the courage to have conversations? Will you give us the courage to move through life unoffended? God, I thank you that in the same way that hurt people hurt people, free people free people, and healed people heal people, and whole people heal whole people. <laughs> but God, I just thank you and I ask that you would make us a church body that is healed and is whole and does not create an expectation of how you're gonna show up. You can show up in this place however you wanna show up, God, even if we're uncomfortable. So God, we just thank You for Your presence here this morning. And we ask You, Lord, that if there are any places of offence within our hearts, that You would highlight those to us, God, and that we would hand them over to You this morning and that You would heal those places that have been hurt within us. In Jesus' Name, Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit BethelATX.com.